scripture this morning is Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good that we can be together online, and it's good that we can worship God. So let's, uh, let's just turn our hearts to the Lord right now in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. In the late 1980s, uh, Disney's, Disney Studios put out a, a motion picture, and the title of the, of the film was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It was a hit movie. It's, it sold out for so many, so many times that, in fact, Disney Studios made two, sequel, two sequels of this movie. It was a story of a somewhat dippy inventor, uh, who had developed a laser, a laser which could miniaturize everything, any object that that laser hit. Well, accidents happen. They happen everywhere. And it just so happened that this inventor found that his laser hit uh, his children. And these children were made as small as houseflies. Well, the movie, the movie was, you can imagine all the various scenarios, and the movie was hilarious. But as I was thinking about this movie, it occurred to me that all too often, we do that ourselves. We make Jesus small. And there's nothing funny about that. In fact, it's downright tragic. We make Jesus small in a whole variety of ways. We make Jesus small by treating him just as one more religious leader. We add him to the list of Krishna and Confucius, Buddha and Mohammed, and any other religious leader that may suit our fancy. He's just one part of the world's 
religious soup. We also make Jesus small when, in the face of death, we use his name as a, a sop to pacify rather than to declare his victory over sin and death. We make Jesus small every time we avoid praying for healing because, truth be told, even in the church, even in the church, we often don't believe that Jesus has the power to heal. We make Jesus small by seeing him as a bore, oh, a, a kind and gentle bore, and oh, we'd never ever say the word ourselves, but by our actions we show it. We, we, we don't really have time to spend, we don't really have the time to spend with him in prayer. We don't really have the time to hear his word to us because, well, we have more exciting things to do. In Dorothy Sayers' words, we have very efficiently pared the claws of the Lion of Judah. And we certify him meek and mild. And we recommend him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious ladies. Well, in today's scripture reading, which is the prologue, the first four verses of the book of Hebrews, the author sets the tone for this entire book. And what this book tells us, and what this prologue in these four verses that Emma just read for us, what, these, what this prologue makes abundantly clear is that Jesus is immensely greater immensely greater, far, far greater than even most church people give him credit. D.A. Carson points out that one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Better than the angels. He talks about that in chapter 1. He's better than Moses. That's in chapter 3. He's better than Aaron. That's in chapter 4 and 5 of Hebrews. Jesus' high priesthood is better than the high priesthood of Levi. That's in chapter 7. Jesus' new covenant is better than the old covenant. His sacrifice is better than any other sacrifice. The temple sacrifice, that's in chapter 9. And his temple is greater than the temple in Jerusalem. Over and over again, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is better. Jesus is greater than any of these things of the past. Jesus is greater and better than any of these people, as great as they were. Jesus is better Jesus is greater. All too often, we make Jesus small. And this has all kinds of serious implications for the way we live out our faith. 
The book of Hebrews, in fact, is an antidote. It counteracts the poison of making Jesus small. This book is one large shout out. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Well, before we go any further, let's just take a little bit of, let's just take a few moments and look at the background. The background, give us, to get some background on the book of Hebrews. You may have noticed that sometimes it's referred to as a book, and at other times it's called an epistle or a letter. Somebody said that it begins as an essay, it goes on to become a sermon, and it concludes as a letter. And probably all those things are true. Um, it was probably read in house, small house churches where Christians gathered to worship. Well, you may be wondering who wrote it. And that's a mystery, really. For many, many years, people assumed that it was Paul. But the writing style of the book of Hebrews is really quite different from the way Paul wrote. The writing is tight and it's very eloquent. Some people think because of that that it was possibly written by Apollos, a famous preacher from Alexandria in Egypt. Others have suggested that Luke may have been the author. Others say perhaps Silas. Perhaps Priscilla as the author. But the truth of the matter is only God knows. You see, when you stop and think about it, it really doesn't matter who wrote the book of Hebrews because what Christians have confirmed for the past 2,000 years is that the words of Hebrew, Hebrews are anointed words anointed by God's Holy Spirit, they contain God's message to his people. For 2,000 years that's been true, and it's just as true for us today, this morning. Originally, Hebrews was written for Jewish Christians. We know that because of all the many, many references in this book to temple worship. The people who first received this letter were very familiar with the sacrificial system and with the temple priesthood. That's why all these allusions are in this letter. And probably, probably, and we don't know this for certain, but probably they were Jewish Christians who lived in Italy. And there's that clue to where they lived is found in the second last line of the book, which, and there's a, just a passing line that ends this letter by saying, and those who come from Italy send you greetings. You see, it was like they were saying, well, say hi back to the folks at home in Italy. And so the letter of Hebrews was written originally for Jewish Christians most likely scattered in Italy. 
But let's look at today's reading. Let's look at these first four verses in some detail, the prologue of this book, in order to get a sense of the whole, the whole picture of, what, of what's coming up ahead in this book. It begins this way. It begins, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The author here is talking about Old Testament times. And he acknowledges that God spoke in many different and diverse ways through the Old Testament. And we all can think of different ways that God spoke in the Old Testament, can't we? I mean, there were visions. There were times when God gave his word clearly. I mean, for example, the Ten Commandments, God's word carved into stone. At other times, there were events. I'm thinking of events like the burning bush. Or maybe there were just times when there were experiences that God's people had. Think about David. David, who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. It wasn't that God specifically told David to write those words, but that was an experience that God had of David. And so he wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. And so in all these different and various ways, in the Old Testament, God spoke to our people to our fathers by the prophets, said the writer of Hebrews. And then he goes on and says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, now God has spoken to us in Christ. As good as, and as great as all those older revelations were, Christ, you see, is better. Christ is greater. Christ is God's ultimate word. We now can hear the voice of Jesus. Think about that. We now can hear the voice of the Son of God. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Does it excite you? Does it excite you to know that you can hear the voice of Jesus? Or does it just seem like ho-hum to you? Because, you see, if it bores you, your Jesus is too small. Every Sunday morning, just as we did this morning, in our worship service, after the scripture is read, the reader says, this is the word of the Lord. And most Sunday mornings, when we're all gathered together here uh, to worship God, I notice that I usually can hear a few tired voices respond. Thanks be to God. But friends, do we really understand? Do we really understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is speaking to us? Surely that's worthy of a resounding thanks be to God. Too often, too often we forget. We forget just who this Jesus is. 
And so the prologue of Hebrews reminds us, reminds us, God appointed him, notice these words that Hebrews uses, appointed him the heir of all things. The heir, the one who inherits things. The inheritor of all things. Did you catch that? Everything, everything was made for him. Everything. Everything that was made. Everything that was created was made for Jesus. I mean, imagine that. Everything that was created. That includes you and me. We were made for Jesus. Well, next, it's through Jesus, we're told, that the world was created. God, sorry, Jesus is God's agent in creation. This Jesus is not simply a prophet or a great moral teacher. No, 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 no. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. He was there from the beginning. He is the Son of God. As John's Gospel puts it, and as Carl read earlier this morning, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 3 of the prologue goes on to say that he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. Think about that. The radiance, the light, the brightness of the glory of God. That's who Jesus is. In Jesus, there is no darkness. As the Christmas carols, carol puts it, God of God Light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Hebrews then goes on and tells us that Jesus, get this, Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact imprint of God's nature. The word that's used here describes a coin or a, a stamp that's being imprinted time and time and time again. Every stamp, every print, the exact duplicate the exact duplicate of the original. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He's the exact imprint. But often, often, isn't it true that we look elsewhere? We look elsewhere. We have heroes, heroes of the faith. But as we look at them long and hard, we often discover that they have feet of clay. 
So many people have left the church. So many people have lost their faith because they've been disappoint, disappointed or hurt by pastors or by other Christians. Every one of us, you see, every one of us falls short of the glory of God. Don't look at other Christians. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Some people say they don't they don't look to other they don't look to other Christians. They they say, I'm just going to look at nature. I'm just going to look at the creation. No one to talk back to me there. So they go for they go for a walk on the beach or a walk in the woods to see God. And yes, it's true. Creation can reflect the Creator, just as God's people can reflect the Creator. But nature, just like human beings, nature also is fallen. It's why there are tsunamis. It's why the law of club and fang exists. And so turn your eyes upon Jesus, as the old song says. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and then you will see God. For Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And... The prologue goes on to say, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about what that means. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. If Jesus upholds the universe, if he, if he is keeping the universe together, if he is the one who keeps it going, then he must be, in Dallas Willard's words, the smartest and most intelligent person who ever lived. You know, we think of Jesus as kind and good. But most of the time, we don't think of him as smart. Kind and good but not smart. But you see, when we start to think like that, then our Jesus is too small. He is not just nice, he is brilliant, says Dallas Willard. And Willard explains it this way. He says, Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it into wine. He had that same knowledge that allowed him to take a few pieces of bread and some little fish and feed thousands of people. He knew how to transform the tissues of the human body from sickness to health and from death to life. He knew how to suspend gravity, interrupt weather patterns. He only needed a word. We hear people say, we must follow the science. How often do we hear that these days? But no one knows more about science than Jesus Christ. In Rebecca McLaughlin's words, the God who made the universe 
must have scientific knowledge as far surpassing ours as a street lamp is surpassed by the sun. Well, next, the writer of Hebrews moves us to the cross. He says of Jesus, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the mighty on high. To say that Jesus sat down is to say that Jesus' work at the cross was finished, was finished once and for all. He made the ultimate sacrifice for all people and for all time. There's no need for any more sacrifices that we or anyone else can make in order to get right with God. At the cross, at the cross, Jesus has done what only he could do. And it's now up to us to accept his finished work. And now Jesus is raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God. He willingly made himself a little lower than the angels so that he could come to earth and pay the penalty for our sin. Such love, such humility on his part has now brought him even more honor, even more glory at the Father's side. Before he was better than the angels, before he was. But now his place ahead of them is even grander, even greater. And so there you have it. These verses from the prologue of Hebrews remind us that Jesus is better and Jesus is greater than anything or anyone that we can even possibly begin to imagine. He is better than religiosity. He is greater than morality. He is the one true way to abundant life and to eternal life beyond the grave. Let's not be content. Let's not be content with a small Jesus. As his followers, let us lift Jesus high, proclaiming him, proclaiming him as the way, the truth, and the life. Recognizing, as the Bible says, that no one, no one comes to the Father but by him. And as a church, Let's preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are being saved. Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God. To God be the glory. To his name, the name of Jesus, be glory and honor and praise now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we ask your forgiveness for all the times when we have made you small. All the times when we have not recognized you for who you truly are. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you for your word of Hebrews, which shows us your greatness, your majesty, and your glory. To you be praise and honor, now and forever. Amen.